Hello everyone, uh, my name is Angelo and I would like to welcome you to the first episode of the EnvoCast, EnvoPAP's podcast, where we talk about sustainability and business. We talk to professionals in the business and sustainability sector to find where they intersect. Today joining me is the CEO and founder, Kaushal Shah um, of EnvoPAP. And I would like to start with, why did you want to start um, the podcast this year, Kaushal? Thank you, Angelo. Uh, I hope you're well. Um, the EnvoCast was something which was an idea which uh, generated in 2018, which was one of our ex-colleagues, where we were just thinking and discussing why won't we have, you know, a, a podcast by EnvoPAP where we are connecting with our audience, our prospective customers, our, you know, our inspiring and influential uh, partners across the world where they get to know the team behind who who we are what we do and what we you know what we think about the work we're doing where we're creating sustainable packaging and also to have fun uh, moreover it was also to interact with certain highly influential and you know inspirational leaders who we can welcome to our Envo podcast and learn about more about their views and their thinking and one other thing was, uh, there's a survey which was conducted by Statista, I think, where 75% of the podcast listeners want to learn new things. And that therefore, it was a great way to build an audience who is looking for new information and keep all of them entertained through sustainable stories and sustainable views. Yeah, I think podcasts are also a good format because they're deeper. I think we go deeper into the interviews. It's not, I mean, it's not just a normal interview you actually go into depth with the person that you're talking to. Um, yeah, so other than the EnvoCast, is there anything else exciting for EnvoPAP in 2021? Uh, 2021 is going to be an absolutely exciting year for us because uh, 2020, we took a step back. We got some funding done. So uh, that's why we could take a step back. And I think we have a variety of new products being launched uh, with the pandemic and uh, all of us buying products at the touch of a button. E-commerce segment has outgrown itself. And with e-commerce outgrown, the demand for e-commerce packaging has grown. And that's where we have tapped into. And we have a lot of new exciting products coming this year where we're actually replacing poly bags and plastic, single-use plastic items with agrofiber-based uh, packaging materials. And we're also very excited to be exhibiting in a lot of expos, hopefully uh, later this year in, uh, in physical, but now we're also doing virtual expos to showcase these products. And also uh, more exciting news for us is that we have officially launched Envopap India, where we would now be selling products and collaborating with a lot of large FMCG companies who are manufacturing products within India and shipping them across globally, solving the problem at its source. So quite a lot of exciting year for us. And I look forward to you know working with a fantastic team we have to tap more into the market potential. Yeah, I mean, if anyone really wants more updates, listen to the uh, podcast, the EnvoCast, go on to our website, envopap.com, or follow us on all our social media platforms, simple EnvoPAP, E-N-V-O-P-A-P. Um, yeah, so I'd like to move on just to keep this short um, to our first guest. Um, this will cut away to the interview that we did to Pradeep Tarakan. Um, just a short introduction for him. He currently serves as a principal energy specialist at the Asian Development Bank. Um, we'd just like to be to give a disclaimer that even though uh, Pradeep comes from there, that his views are his own. 
and that opinions that he's um, giving today are of his own. Uh, he works in the Thailand office and he's overseeing sovereign lending and policy support for clean energy and climate mitigation activities across Cambodia, Laos, Malaysia, Myanmar, Thailand, and Vietnam. He is someone who has had over 17 years of experience working with organizations and government bodies on climate change issues and global energy. So we thought he'd be an excellent guest to the Envilcast. And without further ado, I present to you our first interview. Welcome Pradeep um, and hello Koshal. Uh, I was just wondering how you guys are um, on this lovely Friday morning. Thank you, Angelo. Um, it's it's been a it's been a very difficult year for for all of us. Um, it also has been a very busy year for me. I think uh, the the theme of sustainability and and sustainable production, consumption, clean development these have all sort of become much more front and center on people's minds. Mm. And um, and there's been a lot more focus on the kind of work that I do. So yeah, it's been it's been busy in that sense. And you, Koshal? Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree with Pradeep. It's uh, it's been an important year for us as Envopab because uh, the kind of products we've been looking to make, we've been seeing the value addition because of the rising demands for sustainable products, and at the same time with the carbon emissions going down, with our people not being able to travel, e-commerce industry has seen a huge boom, and that's the reason why it's been an extremely exciting year because we have a lot of projects going on and. Uh, every industry is looking to move to sustainable packaging so very excited and it's been a difficult year in terms of health wise but as a company we've grown as well so really look forward to it yeah it's amazing that um considering it's a pandemic both of you are still really really busy um and yeah so i realized that there was a through line of sustainable production and consumption with both of you um so pradeep can i just ask you what is sustainable production exactly and how do we engage with it? How does someone of uh, an average person engage with sustainable consumption and production? Yeah, sustainable production and consumption as a concept is, is not new. I think mm -hmm. one of the first proponents of this concept was uh, Kenneth Boulding. So he published an essay in, in nearly 50 years ago, 1966. And the essay was titled, The Economics of, of the Coming Spaceship Earth. And in that essay, he differentiates um, how humans have approached the earth traditionally. Um, and he calls it the cowboy economy. And, and that kind of an approach is characterized by this notion that the earth is limitless in terms of resources. And humans' interactions with earth has been one of exploitation, about grabbing what we wanted, um, you know, rapacious, uh, an element of greed, monstrous greed, if you will. Um, and also the assumption that the earth can assimilate or absorb all of the waste that we generate. Um, but he says that's not the case. And, and going forward, we need to look at our relationship with the earth in a different way. And he characterizes the earth as, uh, or, and the economy as the spaceship earth economy. And what that means is the earth is like a spaceship. I mean, it is a, a metal tube. And there's only a fixed amount of resources on it. And we have to make do with what's there uh, in, that, in that metal tube, if you will. And the waste we generate are really going back into that same space. And so the assimilative capacity is not limit, unlimited. It is very limited. Mm -hmm. So this marks a fundamental shift. Uh, and what that means for us is that we have our, it changes our relationship with nature. 
we have to look at it differently. And secondly, um, the way we look at it differently will be through the lens of our economic systems. Because fundamentally, how we interact with resources, how we use it, and how we generate waste are all guided by economic principles. And traditionally, our economic principles haven't been able to fully accommodate for these things. So we need to monetize, we need to measure and count and value positive impacts on the environment and negative impacts on the environment so that our decisions are fully taken into account. And this applies to all of us. It, it applies to governments, it applies to individuals, to communities and the private sector. I mean, sustainable production consumption has two major elements. One is clean energy because mm -hmm. you need energy for everything. So the energy you use for all other economic activity needs to be clean. Secondly, sustainable packaging how we organize the goods and services that we use and how that is stored and moved around and utilized. Right, and from what I understand, energy is a sector, specifically clean energy is a sector that you work in. Um, so what, could you tell us more about the work that you do? Sure, yeah, by the way, I, I work for the Asian Development Bank and mm -hmm. just a disclaimer that, that the views that uh, represented today that I'm expressing on my own. Uh, they do not represent the views of the ADB, its management or the board of directors. Um, so my role is I work out of Bangkok. I work in the region, which is known mm -hmm. as a greater Mekong sub-region that stretches from Myanmar all the way to Vietnam, includes countries in between Laos, Cambodia and Thailand. And my role is to work with governments and state-owned entities, uh, public utilities, energy utilities, trying to get these uh, entities to to look at new ways of generating, transmitting and distributing electricity and energy. So um, I help them with the, with the advisory, the pre-feasibility studies, the feasibility studies and the financing. And also all of the policy work that goes alongside. So primarily helping countries to think of cleaner ways of generating electricity and, and utilizing it. Okay. Um, and the other element that you were talking about was sustainable packaging and production. Um, Kaushal, maybe you could uh, expand on that a little? So I, I definitely feel, you know, with the upheavals of lockdown, the packaging industry is seeing a huge amount of disruption. And COVID-19 has completely redefined sustainability. Mm -hmm. Consumers' current top priorities are, you know, staying healthy and spending as little as possible. Uh, but the, here the real challenge is how to deliver a truly sustainable packaging solution now that we are looking to bolster to current new green credentials. It has also you know, forced packaging companies or FMCG large plastic polluting companies to speed up their decisions. Uh, but environmentalists still say you know, that there might be a reactionary shift back to post-COVID going back to the same resources. And that's the biggest fear. And Moreover, uh, at this point of time, waste management is going to be a futuristic issue. So in terms of sustainable packaging, if we are taking the right steps of moving away from plastic, but we should have a much more long-term mindset in terms of how are we going to scale up? How are we going to make sure that we currently meet the demands? And if yes, how and which materials are going to be able to suffice? Because as, as the world population is growing, we are totally at 7 billion. As the world's population is growing, packaging is going to become an important sector as a whole. And reusable packaging is also currently becoming a huge push. And at this moment of time, we are in, you know, the words single use and plastic have become red flag batches of dishonor for the blue planet generation of shoppers. 
So sustainable packaging is currently, you know, kind of completely redefining with the pandemic. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up uh, consumers because I feel like, especially personally as a consumer as well, um, I'm more aware of climate change as a big issue. And I know that's something that Envelope have and Pradeep, you as well, is very, it concerns the work that you do, um, specifically in Southeast Asia. Um, and I know you were talking about speaking to governments. So I have two questions for you, actually. It's one is, um, could you tell us about the specific risks posed to the region, climate change in Southeast Asia, and how these government bodies are responding to you and how you're trying to engage them? Yeah, Southeast Asia, you know, it's a wonderful part of the world. Um, a, a lot of tourists come here. It's a very beautiful part of the world. You've yeah. got large river deltas. You've got long coastlines. You've got islands. Uh, you've got volcanoes. You've got tropical forests. What that means is this, this region is also then particularly susceptible to climate risks. Uh, you know, flooding, droughts, storm surges, uh, severe weather events, landslides. These are all... Uh, quite common in Southeast Asia. And as the climate changes and as weather systems change, one can expect to see more of these. Um, especially because you have very large cities that are on the coast. Some of the largest cities in the world are in Southeast Asia. You've got Jakarta with over 20 million people in the greater Jakarta area. You've got Bangkok, you've got Ho Chi Minh, or you've got Manila. Uh, and so, you know, one really needs to think about how these large urban areas are going to cope. You know, a case in point is Jakarta. Um, this is a city that is actually sinking. Um, mm. They have measured the city is sinking by about 20 centimeters every year. And this has been something that's happening for decades, so much so that the government has initially talked about building a, a large seawall to keep out the sea. But, you know, the costs are prohibitive and it wasn't really clear that the project was going to work. Um, and so um, last year, the government announced that they were going to shift the capital from Jakarta on Java to Kalimantan in Borneo. That's a couple of thousand kilometers away. Mm -hmm. uh, can you imagine the scale of that project to move yeah. an urban area of 20 million people, people who have lived there for decades, for generations, moving the entire government infrastructure, the entire commercial infrastructure, rebuild, you know, building a city from scratch, um, so now because of the ongoing pandemic, the government has put a hold on that project I mean, you know, given financial stress, um, but the, and so it's not going to happen in the near term, but the reality is they do need to do something, uh, about Jakarta's future. So that's an example of the kinds of risks that are posed in the region. Right? That brings me to your, you know, the second part of your question is that how do we engage with, uh, with the government on mm. climate change issues? Now. Southeast Asia is also, you know, it's a developing part of the world. And so a lot of the local leaders are still grappling with everyday governance issues, right? How do we provide clean drinking water to our population? How do we provide electricity? How do we manage local air pollution? How do we manage traffic congestion? How do we provide safe sanitary services uh, to our people? So the trade-off that they have to face every day is between thinking about long-term climate change impacts and the mitigation measures and the short-term everyday needs. And so when, when I'm engaging with, with local leaders, I find that it is, it is more effective for me to focus on their immediate problems and find solutions for those problems in such a way that the longer term goal of climate change is also addressed. 
Um, so it's almost like you are killing two birds with one stone, if you will. If you do smart local development for today, you will also be addressing climate change concerns in the long term. For instance, if you look at mass rapid transit, if you look at clean energy generation, you look at effective waste management, you look at uh, moving people away from cars into public transport systems. Um, you know, if you move away from coal, burning coal to renewables, you are also helping local air pollution. So that's how I, f I find it easier to, to sell them. Uh, so Pradeep, um, I was very interested in what you were talking about with regards to immediate solutions or offering immediate uh, solutions to a lot of governments. Could you maybe expand on that or give us an example of um, the work that you did before? Um, with regards to working with the government or a local body. Okay, yeah, let's take the case of uh, solar energy, right? Yeah. Or, or even rooftop solar. So you've got governments that are grappling with the need to provide electricity to its citizens, but they don't necessarily have all the funds needed for all the investments. Um, and so rather than relying on their own resources and rather than relying on traditional sources of generation such as coal, solar energy provides a new form of energy generation that addresses all of their requirements. Firstly, it's clean, so you can address local air pollution challenges. Secondly, it is modular and it is decentralized, so you can have the private sector generating it. You can have the large-scale private sector or the small-scale private sector, even individual households generating solar power on their rooftop. So suddenly now you've brought in a new source of financing. You, the government doesn't need to put up all the capital expenditure. Individuals, households, companies uh, can do it, right? So you brought in more sources of funding, you brought in a clean source of energy, and you've addressed uh, local air pollution uh, concerns and the need for more electricity. So this is an example of how you can uh, look at innovative solutions that address immediate term needs while also then addressing a global uh, good, which is a, a, you know, a better climate regime. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting that you really talk about um, uh, with regards to governments and thinking about their people. And for one of the things that we wanted to focus on with the podcast is that um, how we can individualize our action with regards to sustainability and sustainable production and consumption. So I wanted to ask both of you, maybe Pradeep can go first, or Kaushal can go first since Pradeep has been speaking, what you guys have learned in your work and in the sector that you've been working in. Um, and how you are able to adopt a lot of the learning points and the lifestyle points into your own lives, into your personal lives, to become a more sustainable person. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you, Angelo. So I definitely feel, you know, every day as individuals, we can make smaller changes, and that can really make a wider impact over the period of time. These are, there are three things which I've decided for the New Year's. Mm-hmm which is um, the first thing I want to make sure that I buy less instead of buying, getting into the era of fast fashion. I want to make sure that I live a minimalistic fashion lifestyle. That's the first thing which I'm going to start implementing. Right? I've already started implementing. The second thing is as a business, because we're into the manufacturing sector and the, in the chemical companies such as ours, where we use a lot of chemicals, we 
I have personally decided that I'm going to start looking and paying attention to the products I buy and the labels of that, where I understand what kind of products are being used, what kind of chemicals are used, because we've done a much rather study on the banned chemicals or the chemicals which are affecting wildlife or any kind of ocean and environmental life. I have started looking into it and paying attention to the smaller labels and how I can make sure that I don't buy the products which are actually causing harm to the environment or the ocean life. That's the second thing which I'm starting to do. And the third thing where I've pushed a lot of focus is transportation in a carbon neutral way. So I've started using an e-scooter from work to my house and every day, which actually helps me to make sure my journey is completely carbon neutral. So these are small changes which I've implemented. And of course, you know, not using plastic and making sure that the purchases we do are from favorite products. So these are some things where, you know, every each of us individuals can always put up. Which is not actually that difficult. To be fair, um, it's a bit more simpler than people make it out to be. Um, what about you, Pradeep? What do you do in your life um, to become more sustainable? Yeah, I mean, it's all about tiny habits, right? Yeah. Um, you know, as, as psychologists are showing us now that information doesn't always lead to behavioral change. I mean, we all know that we need to exercise. We all know that we need to sleep uh, better. But do we actually do it? We can read all the books in the world about this stuff, but we don't actually, it doesn't really change our behavior. And what really changes behaviors is that those small acts and setting up tiny habits, starting off a process of transformation. So I think that's where we all need to start. Simple things like make sure every time you leave the room, switch off the lights. And Every time, you know, if you're going to go out for a day out to the mall or to stepping out to spend the day outside, take a water bottle with you so you don't buy water outside and, and take a disposable straw with you. I mean, this is my, my kids have taught me this. You know, the, the, the current generation is so much more focused on, on being uh, green and, and being more kind to the environment. And, and also they're able to actually follow through. I mean, our generation, my, my generation knows all the, the theory, but we don't always follow through in practice. Uh, we're good at lecturing other people, but I think the current generation is so much more with its actual practical, uh, you know, manifestations. So, yeah, I mean, just, and then, and also when you go to restaurants, if you ask them for, uh, you know, recyclable or edible straws and ask them before they bring you the drink, because often they just put the straw into your drink and then it's single use and then that thing is going to lie in a landfill for 200 years or what have you, right? Um, and then I think um, also as individuals, we can start to voice our preferences within our communities. Mm -hmm. So talk to your local leaders, talk to your counselor, talk to your mayor about making your cities more mass rapid transit friendly, providing more parking spaces for bicycles. Try to ride a bicycle to work if it is safe. Please wear a helmet when you do so, <laughs> right? Um, and then, uh, you know, looking at labels as uh, Koshal was saying, uh, being much more sensitive to where, where do your products come from and uh, how is it made? And, and then writing in to companies, you know, if you find something that's unacceptable, write into the companies. They are very mm -hmm. sensitive these days. Um, they have all signed on to, a lot, lot of the large corporations have signed on to, you know, global uh, carbon reduction, emission reduction targets like the RE100 or the Science Based Targets Program. They are ultra sensitive to these sorts of things now, and then use the power of social media to sort of bring to bear and, and focus on you know, practices that need to change. So these are all ways in which you can work at the individual level, at the community level, and then also influence large corporations. 
Yeah, I really love how um, it's your kids who are now policing the way that you live. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's quite funny. Um, yeah, I think to me, as someone from from the young from the younger generation, I think it's always good to empower yourself. And that um, to anyone who's listening, it, it might sound intimidating, especially when you hear people talk about how they're becoming more sustainable. But I will say this much. When you start with one, you can just literally just start with any one of those acts or any act that you find, and it will actually lead you to to doing more because you become more aware of your impact on the environment or society, you know, because sustainability is more than just about the environment. It's also about um, social development. Yeah, and um, thank you. Yeah, and I, Angela, if I could, sorry. It didn't, yeah, no um, worries. And, and another thing is, is you know, going vegetarian. And yeah. I know it's not easy, um, but what, again, tiny habits, right? Tiny steps. What you can do is try and eat less meat. Uh, cut back on meat consumption because, as you know, there's plenty of research out there that large-scale industrial production of meat is harmful for the environment. Yes. It, it is harmful both in terms of local pollution, you know, land, uh, water pollution, uh, and also in terms of global climate change and carbon emissions. So why not try to limit the amount of meat we eat? Plus it's got uh, health benefits too. So I have personally become a vegetarian. Uh, I don't recommend everybody do it and do it immediately. But all I'm saying is let's all be a little more, be a little bit more aware of the impact that large scale meat production is having on the environment and its consumption is having on our health and try to limit that. Amazing. Yeah, thank you for that. I think it's a really good note to end on. Um, it's quite optimistic. Thank you very much for um, joining us today, Pradeep, for our first Envocast episode. Thank you very, very much. And Koshal as well. Thank you for your contributions to the conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Angelo. Thank you, Thank Pradeep. You. Thanks, Koshal Thank and Angelo.